morning, everyone. I'm going to greet you in Jesus' name this morning. I've appreciated, enjoyed the service that Joseph playing. Um, there's the Sunday school. That was interesting what brought up about uh, purification, specifically the self-purification. Uh, that was mentioned briefly. A, uh, a verse that I thought I would share not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. I was reminded of that uh, the other day. I read a short article about talking about the loneliness that there is in a lot of places here in our in our culture. It is it is a sad story, I suppose. Um, they made a, someone made an app, called it him. Uh, it was for lonely people to to message with and and uh, carry some sort of relationship with, I guess. Um, unfortunately, it died. It was left a few people lonely, but thankfully not that many. Um, I wanted to think a little bit about the poor in spirit. Um, in Matthew chapter 5 just uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for there is the kingdom of heaven um, so what I've never quite had a, had a really good idea about being poor in spirit what does that mean um, in some ways it appears as if it may be so simple that is difficult to understand. Uh, you simply have a, a, a spirit that's not, not rich. A rich spirit um, maybe is, is easier for me to imagine someone of a rich spirit. You might think of someone who's, uh, I don't know, believes in himself a lot, has a lot of faith in himself, is invested in himself. You know, he's, he's rich in, in his own spirit. That's where his treasure's at. You, you might very optimistic, different things like that. Um, so, list here in a book I was reading um, talks about a self life. Talking about it, how it went along really well. The self life is just what it sounds like: living for self, pursuing what I want, living by my feelings, living for pleasure, a me first attitude. You're probably pretty familiar with the tentacles of the self life. Things like self-effort, self-help, self-pity, self-preservation, self-indulgence, self-gratification, self-ambition, self-seeking, self-serving, self-centeredness, self-determination, self-will, self-exaltation, self-righteousness. But the matrix of them all is self-love. Um, and we've also been told that it's not good to discipline kids. It will break their spirit, they say. Um, we'll avoid that. So, there's a lot of that that goes on today. Um, is it really wrong? I don't know. Is it sin? I, I don't know. And it's not something we should pursue, for sure. Um, 
but it does lead to uh, falling out of out of favor with the Lord. So I was I was looking at uh, Saul and David, really interesting characters in the Old Testament. Um, started looking at a little bit of I, I like to do sort of a a picture by picture comparison between the two of them. Um, you know, some of their their moments in, in in their lives and how they handle them, different questions that come up, tests and such, how they you know, the decision that they made. Um, I spent actually a fair bit of time on Saul, his, the first his first few years, um, probably everything up to the point where David comes in. Um, I, I I thought I knew you know kind of about how Saul's first years were and uh, different things. But I found out it was actually, it's a really interesting, intriguing bit of history, or of scripture, I should say. Um, so I'm going to go through that, start here in for Samuel chapter 9, and there's kind of a lot of different things to cover here. So 9, um, So the people of Israel were discontent with their status as a as a people, um, and looking into a little bit, a little bit I read here, going through this passage, different places, I, I really can't say they blame them. I think it's very, very uh, reasonable response. I think if, if I was in a similar situation, I would be fairly discontent myself and looking for some change. Um, So I believe, and I could be wrong on this, but it, it very much appeared as if the Philistine, the, the Israelites were under the thumb of the Philistines to some degree um, when they, they were not allowed to have smiths, so you know they couldn't make weapons. Um, there's a famous, well, fairly well-known instance where uh, the Israelites were fighting, were going to fight against the Philistines. There was David and or, Saul and his sons, and there's a huge Philistine army. Um, and the, uh, the Israelites, they had like, there was two swords in the camp. One, one was Saul's and the other was, was uh, Jonathan's. Fairly, they were poor people, not, not well off at all. Um, divided among themselves, there were also Hebrews in the Philistine army that partways through, they, they did switch and joined in the fray on the side of their fellow Israelites. Um, really good story. So, uh, let's read here. Read for Samuel chapter 9, 17 through 22. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I spake of, the same shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me unto the high place, for ye shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let thee go, and will tell thee all that is in thy heart. And as for thy asses that, that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? It is not on thee. Is it not on thee and all thy father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I... 
Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then spakest thou so to me? And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the chiefest place among them that were bidden, which were about 30 persons. So here's a, you know, Saul's very you know, commendable in God's economy kind of way uh, response. You know, I'm not worthy. I'm not, I don't want to be a king. Um, not that I don't think the Israelites were something I would have wanted to be a king over at that time anyways, but um, no, I don't know. It may not be so. Didn't He didn't uh, play himself up at all. So Saul sent, or Samuel sent him on his way. Um, after he had been anointed, um, there's a couple of signs that Saul encountered on his, on his way. There was a company of prophets he met, um, and he went out and prophesied with them, and they sent him down to Gilgal. Then in chapter 10, verse 19, here is Samuel telling the people, okay, you've got what you wanted. Here's your king. He's about to give them you know, King Saul. Uh, going to read chapter chapter 10, verse 19 to the end. And ye have this day rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all your adverse, adversities and your tribulations, and ye have said unto him, Nay, but set a, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken, and Saul was, and Saul the son of Kish was taken, and when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, if the man should yet come thither. And the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stock. And they ran and fetched him thence, and when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. And Saul said to all the people, See ye him? whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his own house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. But the children of Belial said, how shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Um, the, uh, the, so here's his, uh, his crown king, or now to the people. Um, it almost appears that he wasn't crowned until a little bit later on here. Uh, but here in, in verse 26, it says, A band of men whose hearts God had touched went with him. Uh, I had to think of our, well, one of our accountability groups, you know, they go with us, We're, we talk to them, our friends, our, our brotherhood here. Um, there's that continuing all the way back to here. Um, and there's, of course, the group of uh, detractors um, that despised him, didn't look, didn't think he was apparently any sort of a king, um, not sort of a king that they thought he should be, but he held his peace. Very, that, that would uh, seem to 
mesh fairly well with our view of, of Christianity today. Um, so when we're there, and then the next... So Saul's at home, and just there doing his regular everyday thing. Um, doesn't seem to be doing a whole lot as far as king. Then, next thing that happens, the Ammonites came up against this uh, Jabesh Gilead, went to them and attacked their city, and said, you know, we'll, we'll make a deal with you. We'll let you all live, but we get to gouge out your eyes, one eye each. So this is the, the agreement they were tentatively going to make. Um, verse 5, and then and behold, Saul came out after the herd of the field, and Saul said, What aileth the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the man of Japheth. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard these tidings, his anger was greatly kindled, and took a yoke of oxen, and hewed them in pieces, and sent them throughout all the coasts of Israel by the hands of the messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell upon the people, and all upon consent. So he went and uh, defeated the Ammonites um, pretty thoroughly. Um, comes back victorious in verse 12 here. And people said unto Samuel, Who is he that says, shall, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. And Saul said, there shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. Um, this is the point where he sort of established his kingdom, his palace, uh, set up his, you know, his throne, I guess. Um, and again, I want to point out the Saul's mercy towards his enemies. Um, seemed very, very commendable. Um, so there's one picture. You know, David... Fairly similar. Um, this similar type of a. I mean, his, his becoming king was obviously very different, but humble origins. He was the man out, you know, his little boy out in the field taking care of his father's sheep. Um, we know it all fairly well. Uh, the, the, uh, one thing I heard brought up once. Um, Jesse, uh, David's father, he said, yeah, I have a, in, in the King James, he says, well, I have a, a younger son. Um, some people say, well, the term that they use there, younger son, was like, I have a, a worthless one, kind of an extra auxiliary, not very valuable son. Um, so he would, just a little bit of uh, background on that. Um, his, his heart for God was very evident in his, uh, when he went out and confronted Goliath. Um, very very interesting thought on that Saul's position as king as we know kingdoms to be um, a king is someone who's big obviously you know, he has a big presence he's supposed to be the hero he's you know leader and very often when he doesn't when he fails to lead he comes up short uh, is defeated is humiliated someone else is greater than him that person usually takes over fairly often there's a it's a threat at the very least um, David was an anointed king. He knew he was, you know, that, that place right there was his. Um, and Saul, there's nothing 
seem to do about Goliath. He was just sort of sitting there. He should have been the man out there. You think out there fighting, um, fighting this enemy. But David goes along and does it for him, and just seemingly stepped down just to let it go. Didn't uh, didn't seem to push it. He did become a part of you know, Saul's court. Um, so very very good solid beginning for both both these two men. Um, and then we think about Saul here in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel. What happened to him here? It was, seemed to be a little bit of, it, it seemed to be his falling apart point. And it offers a very, in, a, a very good insight maybe into how God can work. Um, here's the, the Ammonite armies camped up on the hill, or the Ammonite, what were they? Philistines camped up on the hill, um, and the uh, very weak Israelites were camped opposite them. So, somewhat of a Gideon situation. Um, there seemed to be a lot of potential for Saul to have been, you know, one of the great prophets, you know, like a Gideon type of a guy, um, leading forwards. Uh, except for his actions here were less than commendable. Um, start here in chapter 13, verse 8. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. So Samuel was going to come and offer sacrifices and then go to battle. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither the burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Um, you see Saul's, you know, he's a man in charge. A really bad situation. Um, I would like to think he probably felt, I, I, need to, I need to save these people. I need to do something. Um, they're all scattering. It's getting worse and worse. So I'll, uh, I'll just do the offering and try to bring some spirit back to these guys. Um, and it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw the people were scattered from me, and thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and made a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now the kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. So that's part of verse 13 here. For now the Lord hath, for now would the Lord have established the kingdom upon Israel forever. Um, that would imply to me that this was God's testing point. He was going to test Saul here. He's going to maybe, Samuel will be a little late. He's in a really bad situation. Saul, what's he going to do? Is he going to look to the Lord or is his own strength? Um, God wants God put a king there, but he wanted to be one that the king depended on. Not someone you don't want the king depending on himself, his own strength, his own glory, um, trying to build for himself a name, rather God. And Samuel take or Saul taking that into his own hands would seem a way of saying, you know, I'm the one, I'm the man for the man for the moment. It's it's up to me to do this, not the Lord. Um Using his own action over faith. Um, 
choosing to enrich his own spear, his own image, rather than, than to uh, pursue God. So David, so there's, there's how Saul took that. Um, kind of took things in his own hand. Um, there's also the Ammonites, Amalekites, one or the other. Oh, I forget which. Anyways, you know, he was sent out to attack the people, destroy them. He's, you know, he chose to spare some of it. Again, taking things into his own hand. Um, make good sense from a human standpoint to do what he did. Really good sense. It was not what God wanted to wanted from him. Um, David would seem to have also been in a similar situation here, or in a different time, similar testing, new idea. Um, he spent years in the wilderness. He went and he was with, he lived with the Philistines, went to war with them, did not actually fight against the Israelites, but was fighting with the Philistines against their other enemies. Um, and always running and hiding from Saul, very... I'm not sure what it would have been like for David out there. Um, uh, yeah, it, dark days for sure. You know he's the anointed king. Why isn't he being crowned? Um, just waiting for God to do something. Who knows what? Um, and then Saul just comes into this cave where David is at one day. And the obvious thing to do would be just kill the king. Now you're the king. It's very simple. He's next in line. Jonathan would yield the throne to him. Um, make a lot of sense again. Just take things into your own hands. But David chose not to do that, as we all know. Um, it's a different, a different heart than than what Saul had or what he chose. Um, I find it really interesting. So. Saul chooses vice over virtue, to use that, that term. Typically, you know, in our world, when, when that sort of thing starts happening, people, uh, there's this spiral of degradation. There's, things get worse and worse as generations go by. Each, each generation takes the evil of the last one and, and um, builds on it, makes it a little bit worse in their own special way. Unless there's something of some intervention from, from God. Um, seeing David choose not to do that. There's a generational improvement going back the other way, um, choosing the right thing, overcoming and ending the, uh, the legacy of, of selfishness. So there's another two, uh, another couple things brought out. Really good um, comparison there. So First Samuel 19. 19 and 24. Uh, Saul must have fallen pretty far, pretty hard. Um, I think it was just before this, not too long, that he had, he learned that the, some of the priests in Tabernacle had you know, helped David as he's fleeing from him, given him, I think, the sword of Goliath and the showbread. He ended. Up, he went and had a lot of them. Had a lot of the priests killed. I think forty-five of them, and uh, some women and children as well. Destroyed one of their their towns, or one of the priest towns that they had. Um, pretty pretty serious, hardcore type of 
type of evil, I guess. Um, and then here in chapter 19, verse 19, it says, and, and it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naioth and Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to, da to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they prophesied also. Then went he also to Ramah, and came to a great well that is in Siku. And he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And no one said, Sorry, and one said, Behold, they be at Naoth and Ramah. And he went thither to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until it came to Naoth and Ramah. And he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore they say, Is Saul also among the prophets? Um, we can answer the question, Is Saul also among the prophets? It seemed to be almost a question of, you know, has Saul changed? Has he repented? Or has he, you know, he come around? Is he going to maybe nicely step down and allow whoever the Lord has chosen next to uh, ascend in his, his place? Um, I don't... I wonder if God didn't... Was he giving Saul a second chance here? Maybe. Um, if we look at David's life, he was certainly seemed you know, in the business of doing that. Um can't really speak for that. But we do know that Saul didn't uh, choose this opportunity to turn around. He just hammered down and kept going harder into it. Um, David had a, a good number of similar, not a good number, a few similar experiences. Um, There's, of course, a time he, he chose to number the people. He wanted to see how many fighting men he had. Um, I think there were like 1.3 million of them, which is a pretty impressive number. Um, and he was punished for that, repented, repented, and then there's, there's still consequences to that. But interesting, I, I was wondering, why is this really an issue? Like, number the people, see how many men you have? Like, okay, that's a pretty logical king thing to do. Um, they have a lot of enemies strong they are but I think the point being that was brought out is God wanted David again to depend on him not the strength of his army and numbering of the men and of course there is his sin with Bathsheba and most um, and how he I want to look at his his response to that when Nathan came to him and presented him with you know, what what he had done what God thought of it this is really, it's a beautiful passage, I think. Uh, so Second Samuel 12, verse 9, goes into this. It says here, verse 9, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and has taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor. 
and you shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou did, didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before Israel and before the sun. And David said, said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Um, and Nathan said unto David, The Lord also has put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child, to blaspheme the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. So, there's David. Very simple. I have sinned against the Lord. Um, to say that, for a king, especially one as successful as, as David. Um, well, try to imagine a successful politician saying that, and it's hard. Um, it'd be a, it's, it's hard for someone who's kind of a nobody to say, you know, I've done something wrong. Um, his heart was, he was, was a heart after, he had a heart after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. Um, of course, each of these men left a legacy of sorts. Uh, Saul's son, one that survived the battle in which he died, Ishbosheth, was crowned king over, you know, Abner crowned him a king. He, he ruled for a short time. Um, there was a lot of fighting between you know, the house of David and the house of Saul. And Abner, or no, Abner died shortly after. Two of Ishbosheth's top top men came and killed him, took his head to David, and uh, were were punished for their trouble. Um, a sad end to a kind of a sad story for Saul. And then, of course, there's you know David's son Solomon ascending to the throne, um, accounted in, in his request for wisdom. Second um, Chronicles chapter one. To read that here quickly. Starting in verse 7 through 12 here. In that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast shown great mercy unto David my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord, let thy promise unto David my father be established, for thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth and multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this, thy people that is so great? And God said to Solomon, Because this was written in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet hast asked long life, Pass ask wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall there be any after thee. The like. Um. So. That was, uh, really a good reminder for me um, a good examples of what God wants um, the difference between yeah, 
a uh, poor in spirit, sort of a man. Um, here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. It says here, Pride is so natural to the fallen man that it springs up like springs up in his heart like weeds in a watered garden or rushes by flowering brook. It is an all-pervading sin and smothers all things like dust in the roads or flour in the mill. It touches every evil. You may hunt down this fox and think you have destroyed him, and lo, your very exultation is pride. When pride is a sin with a thousand lies. It seems impossible to kill it. Mom has a uh, painting over at her house in the bathroom. We Probably most of us here, here have seen, I think it would be called a, uh, what's the word? Triple self-portrait by Nor- Norman Rockwell. And there's the picture of the man painting a self-portrait. So he's got a portrait of the man painting backside of himself and this reflection in the mirror. Okay, so someone did the same thing of a cat. And the cat was truly painting himself, like, Cat, look in the mirror. Tiger on the on the easel. Sure enough. Um, is that that's funny? I thought I, you know, cat. That's probably that's how they see themselves. Um, that's how I see myself very very often. Um, so easy to just take pride in things. Um, maybe not just like outright. Like I am just so good at this, so proud of it, but even little things, a little bit of a boost, make yourself feel better, um, maybe a bit of a, a salve on a painful wound, um, knowing when these, and there, there can be lots of different things in our lives, but how do we know when enough is enough, when we've gone a little bit too far, um, one example for me personally I, I was, you know, my working life, short as it is, has been in what I would call a boom time. There is never a shortage of work. There is never, if I if I don't want to do this, I can go over there and have five different job op- options, and they're all pretty decent. Um, and I like to set goals. I like reaching goals. I really dislike being pushed backwards. Um, I feel really discouraging. I don't know, a couple months back, my truck broke. I brought another truck and I sat down and thought about it. I was like, okay, so if I cost this much, okay, so that put me behind this far. And that really consumed my mind. Um, and also, there was July. There was a couple weeks where we didn't have work at the shop there. And, you know, I, I like my job there. I like what we're doing. I take a bit of pride in it. Um, but something about losing, not having anything to do there for just a short time was kind of devastating. It really set me back. Had to look at it a little more seriously. Um, losing that thing, I think, showed me a little bit of, of how much it actually means to me. Might be a little bit far wrong. Um, one last thing. It, it, uh, I spent some time studying and preparing this week 
And I thought to myself, well, wouldn't it be just perfect if, say, Monday through you do it like this. Monday through Friday, you come home every evening. You sit down for a little bit, and you like just write down in the format of say five minute devotions, five seven minutes, what God showed you that week, that day, your experiences, what you can learn, different things. Come Saturday, you just there it is. You're done. Perfect. Um, well, that'd be nice and scattered. Um, yeah. It, that would be really nice, and maybe I'll try it someday. But the picture of our lives being that that thing that's being taken from, and there's God, God living in it. Out of it comes God's things, not of our, not our, not our own. Uh, is is a uh, something to strive for, obviously. You know, Christ, his life would have been that. Um, what, what did his look like? I was thinking specifically of the 30-some years, I think it was 30, before his ministry that's recorded in the Gospels. What was that like? What was his everyday life like? Um, you can read, you know, read the different things he wrote or that he taught the people, the things he lived in those several years. It would have been all that. But probably less remarkable in some ways to a human standpoint. You can say that the uh, things he things he taught like, you know, entering in your closet to pray and you and you give tithe, you know, don't let your right hand know what the left does. Different things like that. But his, also when he went back to his own hometown, the people rejected him. So we know who this guy is. He's a carpenter. He's he's nobody. Can't be the Christ. He had lived a life out of that point that's probably fairly simple. Nothing nothing uh Nothing great. He showed God's showed God in incarnate. Um, that's all I had to say.